0: And now our reading for for this evening, which uh, Daniel before Daniel speaks to us, is Mark chapter fifteen and verses thirty three to forty one. Um, so, if you've got a Bible, uh, please turn to that. Um, but uh, I've asked Jenny if she'll read it to us, and then over to Dan to to bring us uh, God's word and open it to us. So, over to Jenny. Right, the death
1: of Jesus. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema, Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there.
0: Well, thank you so much, uh, Andrew and Jenny and uh, Charlie and Danielle uh, for starting our service together it's been wonderful uh, to hear from you all and uh, do keep your Bibles open if you've got them uh, in front of you to that passage that we've just seen uh, read out and as we look at uh, this encounter with the Roman Turian and we've come to our last encounter uh, with Jesus in our series that we've been looking at in Mark's Gospel uh, this evening, and you might be thinking, as we heard right at the start, that it's not much of an encounter when you read it, is it? I mean, all this Roman centurion gets is like one verse uh, in the passage this evening. Jesus, he says, no direct words to him, and we have no record of what happens to the Roman centurion uh, after this encounter. And yet despite all of those things, I hope as we'll see this evening, this encounter is no less profound than some of the others that we've seen over these last couple of weeks. Because this centurion encounters Jesus at the most pivotal point in the whole of human history. And he's not just present at this event, but he's the one presiding over it. He's the one overseeing this event take place. He's the one organizing the execution of the one that he's about to declare the son of god i mean it's crazy isn't it to think how profound this part uh, his part in the bible really is at what a moment he's at jesus's death wasn't just some random easter event but rather it was the culmination of thousands of years of god working and promising to do something extraordinary through his chosen king his son that he would send the whole Old Testament, it all pointed towards the fact that Jesus, the promised Messiah, would come, be killed by his people for his people. And here stands the Roman centurion, overseeing the most important moment in human history alongside the resurrection. And he's the closest person, I guess, to the action. He's seen every angle of this historical drama play out. He's heard every single word that people have been saying. He's witnessed every single second of action from Jesus's trial to his execution. He's the one who oversees and orders the nails to be driven into Jesus's hands for the cross to be lifted up this centurion i guess encounters jesus in a way that no one else ever has it's a strange encounter it's a short encounter but as i've said it is an immensely profound encounter and that's what we're going to see tonight but you know one of my um favorite sports that i love to follow one of my favorite sports that i love to watch is basketball and uh, yeah it's a hard sport to follow because um Obviously, it's based over in America, uh, and the time difference means that the games that take place uh, are in the middle of the night, and so it's hard to really uh, to watch any of them. You kind of have to catch up and watch the highlights. But last year, the team that I kind of follow most, I guess the Toronto Raptors, they got to the finals of the NBA, and I felt like I had to stay up uh, to watch these games each night, uh, in the middle of the night, to get up and just watch them. And, you know, there was one game in particular I remember that they were playing and it got down to like the final seconds of the game. I think um, four seconds left and the score was equal. And I seen the Toronto Raptors, they had four seconds to win the game. And as the ball was played in, uh, one guy started dribbling it into the corner of the court. And as the clock went down to zero, he jumped up, he shot the ball. And as it was going up, everyone was waiting to see whether it would go in. And as the ball was coming down, as it came down towards the rim, it hit one side of the rim and then it bounced up and then it hit the other side of the rim. And then it bounced up to hit the other side of the rim. And then it went back to the other side of the rim, bounced again. And then it went through the net and they won the game. And it was incredible. Everyone just waiting. It for like ages to watch this Uh, basketball go through the net what's going to happen and you know there's a great photo that actually won an award it's the world press sports photo of the year 2020 and it's got the moment in when the ball is bouncing on the rim and it's got this picture of the basketball players with the coaches with the crowd all watching and intensely waiting to see whether it'll go in or not And you've got all of these reactions in this one photo. You've got the opposing team nervous and horrified if this goes in. You've got the person who shot the ball, like, you know, unimaginably sort of questioning whether it's going to go in. You had the crowd. Some were cheering. Some were biting their nails. You had the coaches. Some were looking away. Some couldn't take their eyes off it. It had every reaction going in this one photo. It's an amazing picture. Go look it up um, on Google or something. World Sports Press Photo 2020. And, you know, in this part of Mark's gospel that we've read out, uh, do you know, Mark is keen for us as the reader to be looking at how the people responded to this event of Jesus's crucifixion. Indeed, that's what Mark has been recording right the way through his gospel account, how people responded to Jesus. And yet here, as Jesus is being crucified, as he's dying on the cross, Mark is recording like a picture for us. I like that basketball photo, a a snapshot of all of these reactions from all of these different people taking place, watching this one event happen. You know, we see just before our passage starts uh, the reaction from Jesus's own disciples. You've got people like Peter who disowned Jesus. You get the reaction of disciples and they're nowhere to be seen. They've fled ashamed of the one that they've followed. We get the reaction from the religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they're mocking Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. Verse 31, it says, it says they say he saved others, but he can't save himself. We've seen Mark record even the reaction from those being crucified alongside Jesus and they heap insults on him too. Verse 32. Even those who are facing the same excruciating agony, who are carrying the same sentence as Jesus, still find the strength to respond and to react and to mock Jesus, the one they're being crucified with. And then we get we see the reaction from the Roman soldiers. Many of the Roman soldiers before us, Jesus, as he was uh, prepared to be crucified he was led into their headquarters which would have housed nearly 600 Roman soldiers at that point and they're all surrounding him and they're all mocking him and beating him as he's prepared to be crucified they put a crown of thorns on his head verse 17 they strike him they spit him they strip him of his clothes we see At the last part, we get the reaction from some of the women who follow Jesus. We see in verse 40 that they're standing away in the distance. They're, They're helpless to do anything. No doubt they're distraught, witnessing from a distance Jesus's crucifixion. And yet the final part of this picture that Mark is painting for us is this Roman centurion. And Mark is so keen to stress to us tonight that he has a very, very different reaction to everyone else around. Verse 39, Mark records, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God." Do you know, for everyone else watching around, Jesus's death to them was proof to them that Jesus was exactly not who he claimed to be. If he were a king, then he would fight. If he were with a Messiah, he would save himself. But to this centurion, Jesus's death was not proof that Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be, but rather proof that he was exactly who he claimed to be. Isn't that incredible? This centurion had witnessed the execution of countless people. He had witnessed and presided over the crucifixion of countless criminals over his years of service and yet he witnesses the death of this man Jesus and he realises that Jesus is unlike any man that he has ever crucified before. And, you know, of all the people to come out with such a statement like this, you wouldn't imagine it would be the Gentile Roman centurion overseeing the crucifixion. Do You know, it's miraculous. It's it's like the centurion is given these new eyes as soon as Jesus died. And and Mark, I think, wants us to realise that this is a result of Jesus's death, because as soon as Mark records that Jesus breathed his last, he records two things that immediately happen straight afterwards. He records that the temple of the curtain is torn in two. And then the centurion comes out with this statement of who Jesus is. It's almost like Jesus's death. God brings this revelation, this instant revelation of who Jesus is and what he's achieved. And this statement is, you know, even more miraculous when we consider the background that this Roman centurion would have had. He would have been brought up and he would have lived uh, his military career by paying tributes to Roman gods. He would have pledged his allegiance to Caesar, the emperor, who himself uh, defined himself as a son of the gods. And Roman culture in particular focused on divine rulers, uh, having power and a glory and a prestige and a power and honour from all those around. And yet here, this Roman centurion, with all of his background and all of his upbringing, he stands before a crucified, weak and powerless, naked Jewish man. And as he breathes his last, this centurion sees something divine in Jesus and you know for anyone thinking that maybe the Centurion had a bit of a moment of weakness, a moment of pity for this person who was on the cross, well one historian describes what it took to be a centurion, and uh, this historian said, the Centurion in the infantry is chosen for his size, strength and dexterity in throwing his missile weapons and for his skill in using his sword and shield. In short, for all of his expertness in all of his exercises, he is to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier to execute the orders he receives than to talk. This isn't your ordinary character talking and making this statement. He's not taking pity on this supposed criminal on a cross. He sees Jesus dying on the cross. And he knows something is different. He knows this is something extraordinary. He knows this isn't insignificant. He sees power instead of weakness. He sees a glory instead of a shame. And, you know, it reminds me of what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved. It is the power of God. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And, you know, this evening, firstly, I guess what tonight's encounter confronts us with is the challenge is what do we see? When we see Jesus on the cross, do you know, it might be we see foolishness. Why would, why would anyone want to trust in a king who was crucified? How weak is that? How shameful is that? He was a criminal, it seems. But we might see it as a stumbling block. How could this be the son of God? He looks cursed by God rather than chosen by God. Or it might be this evening that when we see Jesus on the cross, we see Jesus crucified as the power and the wisdom of God. It might be that we remember earlier in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that Jesus himself explains the whole purpose and reason for his death. He explains why he would die, not because he's done anything wrong, but because we have done something wrong in God's sight. Jesus said, "For even the Son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." That is what his cross, that is what his death on the cross was achieving. It is the power and the wisdom of God to save sinners, people who need the forgiveness and the love of God in their lives. Now, do you know what? I'm sure that this centurion probably didn't fully understand in that moment he made that statement, all the theological implications of what Jesus was achieving on the cross. But the centurion, when he makes that statement, he sees and he knows enough to know that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Others might mock, others might scorn, others might just cast lots for his clothing. But this centurion realised that the death of Jesus is truly significant for everyone. And this evening, I wonder, firstly, do we recognise that Jesus's death is significant even for us? You know, it might be that we've never, this is the first service that we've ever been to. We 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 might not say that we're particularly religious people. We not say that we're Christians. But do we maybe see that even for us, like this centurion, an outsider, we see that Jesus's death is significant for us? Because one thing we see from Mark's account is that Jesus's death forces us to respond. And we might respond in different ways. As Mark shows that people did, we might look at Jesus's death and see it as insignificant, as unimportant, proof that Jesus is nothing special. Or like the centurion this evening, we might look at the cross and realise that Jesus is the most significant individual on the planet. And that his death isn't the sad end to the story, but a, a glorious beginning of a way that God would rescue people not just at the present, but even 2000 years later to me and to you tonight. Do you know, at many services we hear, don't we? We hear these words that, you know, whether or not we're going to respond to Jesus. The question really is, you know, we we might hear those words in services. How are we going to if we're going to respond to Jesus? But, you know, as we've seen this evening, that's almost not the right question. Everyone responds in their own way. The question for us this evening is, how are we going to respond to Jesus? How are we going to respond to him? Are we going to respond to him like everyone else was around, distant, laughing, scorning, turning their their faces away from him? Or like the centurion, recognising that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God, the most significant and important person in the world. But, you know, for those of us tonight who have already responded and trusted in Jesus's death and his resurrection three days later. Do you know, as I've been thinking about this this week, do you know, as this centurion man encounters Jesus by the cross, what an opportunity it is this evening for us to do the same. You know, I know this is all in one sense, very figurative. And I know, of course, that Jesus has risen from the dead and we celebrate his new life. But in one sense, every Christian life begins by standing like the centurion in front of Jesus at the cross. You know, I can remember I visited um, Billy Graham. He's a famous evangelist that sadly died. But um, I visited the Billy Graham Library in North Carolina years ago. And, uh, it's like a big farm, American farmhouse. And on the front of this big barn, it's, it has these glass panels that make the shape of a cross. And as you go into this barn, you, uh, you walk through one of these glass panels at the bottom. And as you kind of get through and you have this tour, it talks about the Christian life starts at the foot, starts like the tour did at the foot of the cross. The Christian life starts at the foot of the cross. That's where it all begins. And yet, whilst that's true, it's also the way on in the Christian life, isn't it? John Stott, in his great book, The Cross of Christ, he says, if the cross of Christ is anything to the mind, it is surely everything. The most profound reality and the sublimest mystery. The cross isn't something that I guess we as Christians move on from but rather the foundation on which everything else in our spiritual lives grows and builds on. And yet there's always a danger, isn't it? I find that as we constantly sing songs and as we hear sermons on the cross and as we take communion each week. There's always a danger that familiarity brings complacency with the cross. And it might be this evening that though we've trusted in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we feel spiritually distant in one sense. We feel spiritually cold. We love Christ and yet in in recent times we feel disconnected. We feel that lack of joy, that lack of love walking with Jesus and the cross. It just seems when we talk about it, it just seems so impersonal to us. And yet what we need this evening for us, maybe even as Christians, is to encounter Jesus like the centurion at the foot of the cross. And just like we read of the centurion standing there looking up at Jesus, we need that encounter too. I love what the the words of the famous song, uh, May I Never Lose the Wonder of the Cross, where it says, O precious sight, my Saviour stands, dying for me with outstretched hands. O precious sight, I love to gaze. Remembering Salvation's Day, though my eyes linger on this scene, may passing time and years not steal the power with which it impacts me, the freshness of its mystery. May I never lose the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cross. May I never Lose the wonder of the cross, the wonder of the cross. Do you know? I love the opportunity that this encounter that the centurion has with Jesus on the cross presents to us to encounter Jesus at the foot of the cross, w- totally speechless and lost in wonder at what he's done for us. And that might, that might. Be the prayer that we long to say this evening. This is how we long to respond tonight as we encounter Jesus like the centurion on the cross, the one, the son of man who loved us and gave his life for us so that we might be forgiven and know the love of God and the hope of eternal life with him. It's an amazing encounter. It's a profound encounter and I pray that is this centurion sees Jesus in new with seemingly new eyes that this evening we too would see Jesus with fresh eyes as we behold the wonder of the cross well let's pray as we close our time together our Lord Jesus we thank you so much for this encounter in your words We thank you for this centurion as he's standing there and he looks upon the cross and he responds by acknowledging who you are, that you are different. You are truly significant. And Lord Jesus, we pray that we too would acknowledge that this evening, that we too would stand before the cross in one sense and be lost in wonder at who you are and what you've done. We realize that We need your rescue, Lord Jesus. And we thank you so much and we praise you so much that you went to the cross on our behalf. You suffered the humiliation of being treated like a criminal when that was our place that we should have gone to. And yet, Lord Jesus, you take our sin, you take our shame, you take our guilt and you wash it all away. And Lord Jesus, we pray tonight that as we go on from here, that we would be left changed by the cross. And that we would have that as our foundation. We would wake up tomorrow and long to encounter you at the cross, long to remember you as, the, as our saviour, as our king who died in our place. And we pray that that would leave us changed and humbled and loving you more as a result. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.